good evening, everyone. It is 4 p.m. on October 5th, 2021, and you're looking at the Iowa City City Work Session. And our first item is going to be a presentation by staff on the South District Form Base Code. Welcome, Jeff. We're on our city manager. Yeah, thank you, Mayor and Council. Uh, I hope you're all excited. This is a long time coming. Uh, we've been uh, working on this uh, in some way, shape, or form all the way back to 2015 when we initiated the South District uh, plan update. From that came a discussion on form-based code. We did a feasibility study, and in 2019, we entered into a consultant agreement with Opticos to develop the form-based code. Uh, that code has been worked on uh, not only by the consultant team, but by our staff team, uh, and has been thoroughly reviewed by Planning and Zoning Commission, and as you know, uh, is before you uh, tonight. Um, you'll see that we have both the work session dedicated to this and the regular meeting uh, dedicated this. There's a lot to get through, but it's also important that we recognize that there are um, public hearings associated with um, the actions tonight. So it's gonna uh, guide the nature of the discussions at each of those, so I'll, I'll explain. At the work session today, we're largely gonna provide you with a lot of the background. Uh, a review of what a form-based code is, that's a reminder for, for a lot of you, but really what the intent of a form-based code is and how it's different than a traditional zoning code approach. And then we're gonna review all the steps in the process that got us uh, here tonight, dating back to that 2015 South District Plan update. We're gonna save the detailed conversation on the comp plan amendment and the zoning code text amendment uh, for that public hearing. It's important that that be on the record and be discussed with uh, the notice that was given to the public. So if we interrupt, if you have questions and we interrupt and say, let's save that for the public hearing, just know that that's our intent is to, to force a lot of that detailed conversation uh, in that public hearing environment. Uh, so again, uh, feasibility study, or I'm, I'm sorry, again, uh, the work session uh, will be largely on the background and the uh, process uh, to get us here. So leading you through the presentation, uh, tonight we have uh, our senior planner, Ann Russett, our associate planner, Kirk Lehman, and then we have our team from Opticos here, and they're all gonna participate in, in both the presentation at the work session and the formal meeting tonight. So with that, I'll turn it over to Ann Russett, our senior planner. Is that right? Good afternoon, everyone. Ann Russett, Senior Planner with Neighborhood and Development Services. I'm actually going to introduce Tony Perez with Opticos Design. He's here with Martine Galendez, who we've been working um, with for quite some time on this. So Tony's going to kick us off tonight. A good evening, or good afternoon, still. Um, uh, this is a little low, so sorry, I'll do, I'll do this. Um, good afternoon, I'm Tony Perez with Opticus Design. I'm a senior associate there. I've been with them, I'm going on my ninth year with the office, uh, doing just what you see on the screen tonight, uh, working across the country with cities, uh, small and large, on form-based codes for neighborhoods and large parts of cities. And uh, it's really exciting to see this come to, uh, to you tonight in a work session where you can actually talk and have questions and uh, dig into this. So um, a lot of times we don't get this opportunity. So, so thank you. But what is a form-based code? Uh, very simply put, this is a, 
It's an idea that came about about 30 years ago, some projects in Florida, uh, where developers said, you know, we're trying to build something down the road and just build it again. And the county's rule, rules in that case didn't allow that to happen. And they said, well, we can probably find a way to work something out, but isn't that a problem? And so they realized that they needed to look at zoning in a new way that, other than, than how conventional zoning does. And they realized that conventional zoning didn't look at the way cities really are built and work. Uh, it was a great way to regulate, but it didn't really understand what it was making as a system. So form-based code focuses on, first, the public realm, like where you are. Like when you're out here in, in downtown Iowa City, you're walking around these beautiful streets and the trees, and you go in the neighborhoods, and their houses and their front yards, different environments. And so the form-based code focuses on the public realm first, and then everything else behind it second. and. Uh, and as you see the definition up there, it, it fosters the predictable built results in high quality public realm by using physical form rather than separation of uses. And going back to the early um, example about the conventional zoning, the, the typical approach most cities have is that that focuses first on separating uses and second, if, if at all, on form. So the comparison between the, and you're, you're going to hear this a lot today, the conventional zoning, which 99% uh, of cities have, and form-based zoning, or form-based coding, as it says on the screen, we're going to be comparing those. And the, the way that these compare on the screen, basically, again, you know, the conventional system focuses on uses. The form-based approach does regulate use. So contrary to a lot of misperceptions, it does regulate use, but it focuses on form. It says, well, regardless of the uses, we're going we're to figure that out. We're going to say, hey, this use is allowed here, this use isn't allowed here, but after we get that sorted out, what kind of forms do we want? And what kind of forms do we want where? And conventional zoning doesn't do that. Uh, you have to go through the process, time and money, and also the neighborhood inputting into that and saying, well, we're not sure what's going to come out of this, so we have to come to all these meetings. The form-based approach says, Let's figure all that stuff out up front, or as much as we can, and minimize the, the stuff that needs to be figured out later. The other um, big difference uh, between the two approaches is that the conventional zoning uses a use-based map, although it doesn't call it that, but that's what it is. It's a map that really focuses on what land uses you can have where, and then it might have information about height. But in terms of form and all these other things that people care about, all people, investors, developers, neighbors, everyone, uh, it doesn't have information about that. The form-based approach is just the opposite. You read the map and you can, also, you can start to see the, the intensity of the color of the zone is starting to imply some intensity of use, some intensity of form. And as the lighter color goes out, then the intensity of form, intensity of use drops. The, um, the transect is how most form-based codes are informed. This one is informed that way, not all of them are. And we like to use the transect as an organizing principle in the form-based codes that we help prepare because of the simple um, principle. If you look at it, it goes from left to right, from T1 to T6. Imagine T6 as the biggest buildings in downtown Iowa City and T1 way out there by Terry Bluebud, all the, all the nature. And then everything else in between, there's country, there's farm, there's neighborhoods, there's a little more intense neighborhoods, then there's a smaller part of downtown Iowa City. You have all six of them here, and understanding which part you're working on and which ones you are thinking about where is really important. 
And this system helps you articulate that and talk about it. So in this code, you will notice that before all the zoning districts, there is T3 and T4. And that's because we're only working with those two parts of this whole system. Could you add more to it? Yes, it's built to do that. But for the South District right now, what we're talking about is only the T3 and the T4. And by the way, those are two what we call house scale. We'll talk about that a little more. Those are house scale oriented zones. When we went through this process with, with, um, with owners and the neighbors and developers, we talked about all the benefits of more detail, less detail. We could structure the code in several different ways. And it was very clear that the majority of the people in the process voted for the third option. And that's how this, this code is structured. It's structured on the higher level of detail. And you can see the three on the screen there. One is low detail, but more questions and more time to process and figure things out. Sort of how it works now under the conventional system. Number two is more detail, but, but still some pretty big questions to answer. And number three is let's figure out as much as we can and provide the flexibility to adjust things when things come up that were unforeseen. And that was the, the choice that, that was chosen. Switching gears, a big component of this code and of what's going to happen through the code is what's called missing middle housing. And it's basically everything between single family detached houses and mid to high rise apartments. And our, the founder of our office, Opticos, uh, Dan Parolik, he coined the term missing middle housing about 12 years ago and he said, you know, I noticed that in older neighborhoods, like here in Iowa City, it's no different. You see neighborhoods where there are houses, then there's a duplex, there might be a fourplex around the corner, there might be a courtyard. You see these and you have these neighborhoods here. Well, after 1940, 1945 or so, just around the, the Second World War, uh, for a lot of reasons, cities went away from how they made those neighborhoods and started making neighborhoods through all these other ways. And in that process, miss, or middle housing went missing. It didn't get, right, didn't get produced anymore, and so that's why it was missing. But it's really important to understand that this code produces those house-scale duplexes, houses, fourplexes, sixplexes, courtyards that you've seen around and that they're the size of houses. It's really important to understand. Um, I think uh, I think the other other part to tell you about this is just, uh, I, I didn't realize the slide was gonna be in here, I'm sorry. The, this is a snapshot of those types from, from um, from duplexes to, to the courtyard buildings. And just to show you that instead of leaving it up to just straight numbers and saying, well, let's, let's do that project at 24 units to the acre and let's, and let's form it, do it the other way and you say, well, you know, on these kinds of lots, a sixplex would really fit nicely. On these kinds of lots, it's really about a duplex that would fit nicely there and be too much, you know, that's, that's, that's enough. On these other areas, maybe a courtyard with 12, 15, 16 units that would fit better. So those choices are on the screen and they're in this code because we know the sizes that make them work, we know the lot sizes that make them work, and then you turn that into standards. So that's built in here and you can see that they're, they're assigned to different zoning districts. And that's to say, I know it's hard to read on that screen, but this is to say not all of them are allowed everywhere, but some, you know they're allowed somewhere and just what I was uh, articulating. And then the other thing that's built in your code is that this missing middle housing approach, um, the zoning districts either 
allow them to be distributed throughout the zone, or they say, no, you know what, these types are only allowed in this area, and so you'll see on the zoning map later in the, in the evening that the zoning map has, is assigned zones because uh, to articulate these strategies to say, no, you know what, those more intense types really belong on McAllister, they don't belong on the side streets in the neighborhoods, and strategies like that are, are at play here. Uh, the idea about doing this um, isn't, isn't taken lightly, and so it, from the beginning, we teamed up with a, a market specialist, Zimmerman Volk uh, Associates, and they have been working on projects like this for, I don't know, 30, 32 years, and th they know um, these types and, and these markets and the, and the kinds of markets that pursue these very, very well. And back um, a couple of years ago when they did the report, they found that there was a market for this. Would all the market be attracted to this? No, but there is a market for um, this kind of housing in Iowa City. So a new approach to neighborhoods, uh, just a quick overview here of some basic concepts. If you look at buildings, there are two categories when you, down, when you boil it down. You, you get all of them and you sort them, there are two categories. Buildings that are the size of a block or most of a block, like here in downtown Iowa City, and those are on the blue side of that slide. And buildings that are detached and the size of houses, small to large, and that's the buildings in the pink or the purple on the right. In this South District Code, we're talking about the buildings on the right. There's a little area that's, that's proposed to be zoned for a, a little Main Street. That would be a portion of the blue, but it's, it's, a, it's a small portion of it. The rest of it, the majority, I would say 99% of it, is, is, the, is the purple house scale buildings. Another big thing at play here in this code and the approach to it is not relying on residential density to regulate um, outcomes. Yes, you can calculate the residential density of the buildings in the, in the code, but this code says let's focus on form, focus on what makes a good compatible building next to another building, how to make those transitions in scale and size without relying on density. And just to show you how unreliable the residential density approach is, um, this, this picture, or these two pictures, the one on the left is 30 per acre, three stories, 49 units, and you can't see the ends of it on that photo. The one on the right is a house scale, what, what you would call a multiplex um, building in your code here, and that has five units, and it mathematically calculates the 29 to the acre. So they're one unit to the acre apart, but they couldn't be more different physically. And when, when I talk to people about why to not use density as a, a regulator, th this is one of the pictures that I like to show as an example. So three case studies of where this is being done and how it works. This is a project that our office is designing and, and uh, it's being built by a developer uh, out of sight of um, Papillon, Nebraska. It's called Prairie Queen. Um, and you can see that it's, it's a neighborhood with blocks and uh, new streets and, um, and parks and it's adjacent to this, to this area, probably about like your Terry Blue Blood Lake there, that, that area. It, it looks like that, what it's adjacent to. But if you notice here, there is one house. It's duplexes through uh, fourplexes, through um, courtyards, through mansion apartments. And that is this developer's choice. Uh, in the South District, houses are still allowed. In this project, the developer said, you know what? I'm an apartment developer, and I really like this missing middle because it makes um, 
pedestrian-sized buildings, and I don't want to have all this non-leasable area. I want every square foot that I build to be leasable, so this really fits my approach. And so this is a whole neighborhood of uh, missing mill types. The second project is in uh, Wyoming, in, near Jackson, and a family um, approached us to design this 235-acre uh, area into a missing middle neighborhoods. And this one will include houses um, just like yours. And then the last one is one that's been under construction for about, I don't know, since 2003, so probably in its 16th, 17th year, somewhere around there, uh, outside of St. Louis, Newtown St. Charles. Um, it's a little smaller than the South District, it's 726 acres, um, but it's, it's uh, really beautiful and um, people, people find it appealing uh, because of the, the variety of the, of the buildings, the, the, the streets, the, the way they connect, the way they terminate on parks, all the kinds of things that are at play in your code here. So lastly, the benefits of a form-based approach. Just want to acknowledge, uh, you know, really clearly and upfront. Yes, this is a different way of doing things, and I'll be the first to tell you. But it's intentionally different for all the reasons I was just saying earlier. That the conventional approach, you can only tinker with it so much, and at some point you just need to have a new system. And so what we find when we work with cities is there are areas that they still want to use conventional zoning for, for a lot of practical reasons: auto dealerships, industrial areas, areas that. Uh, don't want to have walkable neighborhoods in them, areas that already exist that aren't going to be walkable, keep zoning those with conventional zoning. It serves them. But if you want to make walkable neighborhoods with all this proximity and transitions in a much gentler way, the form-based approach is the best way to do it. Um, this diagram on the left-hand side shows you the two, two factors, the clarity about outcomes, so what can we expect, and we being everybody, everybody in this room, neighbors, developers, investors, visitors, we. And on the bottom, predictability in the review process or certainty. You hear more and more now neighbors and, and developers alike asking for the same thing. They might differ on a lot of other things, but the thing they have in common, they both are asking for certainty of what's going to happen and predictability about the process or what's going to happen. So this compares them. And it's just a diagram. You know, we don't have a million codes up here to say this is what happened in a million codes. But in our experience, the clarity about the outcomes and, and the predictability about the process with conventional zoning, because it leaves so many questions unanswered or even unasked, the, the, the conventional zoning scores lower. On the flip side, because the form-based zoning requires so much more input, you can see all the work that's gone into setting the standards, into informing the standards, all the detail. Because of that, it, it's higher. Uh, the other big difference is building size is controlled. So on the right-hand side of the screen, you see those two blue uh, figures. The left one, you know, the one on the left side of the question mark, that's what the South District is proposing to do. It's saying, hey, let's make pedestrian scale buildings that fit with other buildings that aren't too big. On the right-hand side is what conventional zoning gives you. And in some cases, a big building is appropriate. But that's what it makes all the time. And you have to work with people to make it smaller and to chip away and to chip away. Um, very quickly, the city will remain unnamed. But we were talking with developers in the city where a lot of people like to do business. And they said, you know, Tony, um, it's just really hard here because the zoning says you can get this, 
but by the time they chip us down, we get this. Over and over, we heard that. And that's a real um, uh, symptom of the conventional zoning approach because nobody's really clear on what it's supposed to make. So everybody feels obligated to chip at it and, and bang at it until it gets to where they think it should be. So, um, so for that big reason, building size is controlled. And you'll hear people complaining about why is it being controlled, neighbors and de developers. And I've, I've explained briefly why it should be controlled. The numbers, you know, maybe there are just the adjustments to those numbers, but you do want to control building size. Lastly, last slide. With all that input and with all that detail, you, you can expect that there'll be something that you just couldn't think of, something out in the field that comes up nobody saw, that wasn't in any report, a new archeological find or some uh, utility that was in the wrong place. And so for that reason, there's a whole section in the code for adjustments. And those adjustments recognize those um, those situations, and if you can make the findings, then you can adjust the standard. And I want to say very clearly, this is not a relaxing of the standards if somebody asks for it. That's different. That's not what this is. This is simply, hey, something came up, and we can't apply the, the code completely as we'd like to. We need to make an adjustment. So with that, um, that's a quick overview of why um, and, and how this code is constructed. And uh, just really thank you for considering this and look forward to the rest of this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Um, Mayor and Council, I have a presentation as well. This is Ann Russett again with Neighborhood and Development Services. And I'm going to provide a little bit more background on the proposal that you'll be reviewing tonight. So I'm gonna jump right in. This is the planning area that we're, we are looking at. It's approximately 900 acres. The vast majority of the area is vacant. It's never been developed. There's around 10 different landowners that own large tracts of undeveloped land. And you can see here that this, this is located within the South District. We have Weatherby Park at the north end. South Gilbert on the west side, Alexander Elementary School is in the center, and then the Sycamore Greenway on the eastern end of the planning area. There are two items that we will be covering in more detail during your formal meeting tonight. The first is a proposed amendment to the South District Plan, and the second is a proposed zoning code amendment to create the form-based code and standards. Um, for the work session, I'm gonna be providing some background on how we got where we are today. So first, I'd like to start with our project goals. There are several goals that we hope to achieve through this project, which include implementing the comprehensive plan vision, ensuring areas that are safe for people to walk, preserving environmental resources, creating highly interconnected streets, allowing a variety of housing types, and applying this code to other greenfield sites in the city, like the Southwest District, which is the map that you see here on the right. As Jeff mentioned, this project really started back in 2015 with the update to the South District plan. And in that plan, it was recommended that a form-based code be considered to manage new development, ensure a mix of housing, 
and encourage compact and connected neighborhoods. With that direction, the city hired Opticos Design in 2017 to work on phase one, which is the project direction report. And the purpose of that report was to assess the feasibility of implementing a form-based code in the South District. Based on the work and outreach that was conducted in 2017, we heard from the public that there was a need for small neighborhood centers, a variety of housing options, connected streets, traffic calming, an environment that allowed aging in place. It was the study completed in 2017 that determined a form-based code was feasible for the undeveloped portions of the South District. And in 2019, the City Council directed staff to execute a contract with Opticos in order to implement the workshop direction from the 2017 report. In 2019, a residential market study was completed, which Tony um, touched on earlier. And we also completed the first draft of the form-based code, which was released um, as the initial draft code where we requested feedback from members of the public. In 2020, we continued outreach and made revisions to the code based on feedback. And then earlier this year, we released a revised version of the draft code, and that's the code that you will be considering tonight. Throughout that process, we worked with various stakeholders starting in early 2019. And this, this table shows a summary of that outreach. We talked to local builders, the development community, property owners, architects, affordable housing advocates, and others. We also had meetings with the school district to better understand their land use needs. We met with the Home Builders Association, the Johnson County Affordable Housing Coalition, the South District Neighborhood Association, and others throughout the past two years. This slide summarizes some of the main concerns and issues that we heard early on in the process. From developers and landowners, we heard that the process is lengthy and uncertain, and that's, that's exactly what Tony touched upon in his presentation. They felt that if the process was more predictable, more regulation would be acceptable. There was also some concern that the market wouldn't support missing middle housing. They recognized that there was a need for more affordable housing choices, and there were some concerns with single-loaded streets along green spaces. And single-loaded streets are streets where you have open space on one side and development on, on the other. So it's single-loaded development only on one side. From the community, we heard that open space was an, an amenity, that there were some concerns from existing neighbors about development that would happen next door to them. They felt quality housing, housing in neighborhoods were expected, and they also, as we heard several times, affordable housing is needed, as is accessibility. So based on the input that we received, we made some changes to both the proposed plan amendment and the code amendment to address some of these concerns, and these revisions were incorporated into the revised draft that we released earlier this year. First, we heard from several groups regarding the concern related to housing affordability. This code will not regulate sales price or the rental price of housing. That said, staff has created regulatory incentives for developers interested in providing voluntary affordable housing. So this includes things like height increases, density bonuses, and Kirk will touch more on that later, later tonight. In addition, about 50% of the land area 
in our planning area has not been annexed yet. So it will be subject to the city's affordable housing annexation policy. We also heard that there was a concern with accessibility. And this is something that we heard back in 2017 as well, that people wanted options for aging in place. So based on this information, we made changes to the frontage type standards. So a type of frontage is a porch or a stoop, or just to give you a couple examples. So the standards were changed for frontage types to ensure that there were options for at-grade entries. We met on several occasions with landowners who had specific requests regarding the future land use map, which we'll be again talking about more when we discuss the comprehensive plan amendment tonight. But we heard from some owners who requested lower land use designations near golf course, other landowners who wanted more intense land use designations along McAllister, or again, along those single loaded streets. Lastly, um, we heard from members of the South District Neighborhood Association and they requested that liquor stores only be allowed by special exception, which we incorporated into the code. As I mentioned earlier, the project includes an amendment to the South District Plan and, and a zoning code text amendment. The proposed amendments do not include a change to the zoning map. Staff has created a more detailed future land use map because landowners and neighbors both want certainty in the land development process. That said, for land to be developed in this area, it will still need to be annexed in some instances, it will need to be rezoned, and it will need to be subdivided, all of which will need to be reviewed by both the Planning and Zoning Commission and the City Council. I wanted to end with some explanation beyond what Tony has already said about why we are pursuing these amendments. And you know, why do we need to shift the way that we are developing land at the fringe of our community. And there, there are several reasons. One, Tony mentioned this, our, our current zoning code provides limited flexibility. In order to create something different, um, it often requires a burdensome OPD rezoning process. Our current code tends to separate land uses our code does allow accessory dwelling units and duplexes on corner lots and single family zones. However, that has not resulted in a mix of housing types. Additionally, zoning regulations such as minimum lot sizes and single family zoning have resulted in more exclusive communities. Currently, 81% of the city's residential land is zoned for single family. And we, we need to explore other options to ensure a mix of housing types, and this code does that. Lastly, the city has many climate action goals. Conventional zoning can result in auto-oriented development, which doesn't help to achieve those goals. So while, while the proposed plan and code amendment will not solve complex issues like climate issues, equity issues, and sustainability, it can help. The, the proposed form-based code allows a wider variety of housing types. It'll provide more housing options for members of our community. In addition to including minimum lot, size, lot sizes, it includes maximums. It requires a mix of building types by block. It includes regulatory incentives for affordable housing. It ensures highly interconnected street networks through specific block standards. And it identifies neighborhood nodes, either through open space or small commercial centers. It slightly reduces parking standards and also ensures more compact development. So these are 
a few ways that the code can help address and help the city address some of its equity and sustainability related goals. And that concludes my presentation for the work session. And again, um, at the formal meeting, we'll be providing a lot more information on the amendments. So thank you. Thank you. All right, council. Questions for staff and for Opticos. I have some detailed questions, but it sounds like I, it would be more appropriate to um, raise them at the formal meeting um, regarding certain aspects of the project. So I think I'll just wait on, on some of these more detailed comments and concerns. And as far as like equity and uh, affordability, is, is that something you all plan to expound upon? We'll, we'll get into more specifics of the portions of the code and the land use designations which help achieve some of those goals, yes. Sure. And also, I guess you went too fast, I'm not sure, but I, I think I, I saw something saying that the developer said uh, the, the market is not supporting the middle kind of housing. I wanna hear like, you know, Scott, how, what you think about that, is that right? Yeah, thank you, Mayor Pro Tem. I think your question is about um, if if there was a market for the middle housing that and that some developers might have said there wasn't. Yeah, there were questions um, back when we started the process, and there might still be. But that's what Zimmerman Volk Associates addressed in their report, uh, which I assume you have you all have access to. And the summary of that is that they found a market for it. In our, in our experience across the country, there's an increasing market for it. Is it everyone? No. The, the, right now, the, big, the big simplest way to summarize who the market for missing middle housing is, is people like me, baby boomers, with our kids just finished college and they don't want to live in the house that we have. They want to live closer to town or closer to that neighborhood Main Street or in, in a smaller unit. Um, and then, yeah, so it's both ends of the spectrum. It's our kids and the baby boomers. Pretty, pretty funny, but. Mm -hmm. I do have a, a follow-up question, a little bit similar. Well, why do you, why do, what are some of the rationales for not desiring some of those livable spaces? Could it be because you're side-by-side -side with someone when you're, when you're talking about duplexes or apartments? And are there materials that can provide some soundproofing between units? Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. I, I was saying that the, the, the young kids who are kids, the baby boomers' kids, they, want, they don't want to live in the big single-family house with the okay. big yard and all that stuff. They want okay. to have a smaller unit in a duplex or fourplex or, you know, like here in the buildings that you have. Any, anything other than that, it seems. And so the missing middle approach um, provides new options as, as you know because sometimes the only other option is a smaller single-family house or a big high-rise and they can't afford it so the mi middle housing provides those options and I understood that I'm sorry as from the developers perspective oh. Oh. what do you think some of the hindrances were 
Yeah, well, some, uh, and I, I'm not speaking for developers, I'm simply, simply speaking on the experience that we have with them. Uh, a, a, big, a big impediment for them is that, well, I don't do multifamily. I do single family houses, and that's what we've done, gotten really good at. And that's, you know, a lot of people are really good at what they do because that's what they do. That's one. The other one is, um, well, I do apartments, but I only do them in batches of 100 or big projects. And so that Prairie Queen project in Nebraska is, is an example of one of those developers saying, yeah, I did it like that, but now I'm going to do a whole project that looks like a neighborhood that doesn't all belong to me that I manage. It doesn't have any gates, doesn't have anything. It's, I don't know, it's 12, 13 blocks, and, but it's all his. He manages it, and he might sell some of it off, uh, but that's one. But usually that, that's one of the, the big things people will say, well, I, I do 50-unit buildings, Tony, not six. Yeah, if I could, if I could add to that, <clears throat> that argument seems to, to carry more weight when you have a housing market as hot as we do here in eastern Iowa and Johnson County. Not only is that what they're comfortable with, you know, with doing, that they've done that for a decade or more, um, but they're selling, and they're selling fast, and the prices are going up. So the, the resistance is often, the, the demand is clearly showing that more single-family houses are being desired. Why are we putting a brakes on that and trying some untested uh, product in the market? That's that's what we'll, you'll probably hear the most. Mm -hmm. We've heard a lot from our South District uh, friends and neighbors that uh, there's a big need for retail there in that South District, and maybe we'll get into this later, Anne, um, or could could we ask now or get some answer towards what Opticos feels the kind of retail and. Uh, commercial would be appropriate for that area, what we might see? Sure, we will touch on that more at six o'clock, but I guess just generally, one thing that the new future land use map does is it provides and identifies kind of community um, centers, which allow non-residential and some commercial land uses in kind of the centers of neighborhoods. And we'll have maps that kind of show where those are located. And I guess just to add one more thing, the, the, the map also identifies a small main street, which will allow commercial. Council member, um, I can't see your full name oh. from here. Uh, Taylor. Pauline, yeah. uh, something else about the non-residential in this code is, and I'm not talking about the map, just the approach, is that one area we talk about a main street, you know, say a block long, and that's, that's one commercial way of doing things. The other areas, they might support some small main street in the future, but as a way to get started, um, this code of allows non-residential uses in very specific locations because that is a node. So in, instead of just willy-nilly and case-by-case -case basis, Part of what this approach does is says, well, let's identify nodes, and at those nodes, if somebody does want to do a non-residential use, they could. It's their choice. They're not required, but they could. And a way to try and think about that, um, the Peninsula. I know Peninsula has a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of questions and a lot of issues over the years, as any mature project does. But if you think of that little green there, where the little cafe, you know. Um, that area in, in the South District could be an example of 
over time if somebody wanted to run an attorney's office on the ground floor of one of those buildings, not just the cafe, but the buildings around it. Uh, if somebody wanted to run a small use, uh, say a, a small um, medical office or you know something that fits in a house-sized building, you know, the whole building can't it isn't bigger than this. If it can fit in there and it's an approvable use, then it, allowable use, then it could be around one of those nodes without having to be a main street. So that that's also in here as it's it's allowed, not required. Um, and the last thing on that. It, the big part of that, why it's allowed and not required, is that's a um, that's a big uh, a failure of zoning over the past 50 years. Is people said, well, let's put commercial in there, and then it, it's commercial, and that's all you can do with it, and it stays vacant. And you know what that looks like? You get the dead property next door that nobody can do anything with. So this flips it and says, let's allow it if there's a need, but not require it. Thank you. I do have questions if it's, and maybe this is more staff, if it's going to be like allowed but not required, how do you flip back between it being residential and commercial for taxes? That might be something we'll need to talk with the assessor about, but I, I don't know if they reassess at a change of use, Jeff. I don't know if you have an answer for that. Yeah, we, we, the assessor would, would take care of that. So um, we'll communicate with the assessor when needed, but generally they're on top of that. And we have those spaces already. Some of the uh, some of those uh, on council for a while may remember um, the Old Town Village space uh, um, near Blackstone Restaurant. There's a uh, apartment building built on the east side of that square type of development uh, that came to council I, I forget if it was a rezoning or for some approvals but we essentially allowed them to do residential on the first floor so long it was it was constructed to commercial standards to where there could be uh, commercial uses there in the future and we've we've done that in a few sp uh, a few locations just to make sure that that space is convertible in the future if needed and since you mentioned um, some of the standards for commercial use I think in the beginning, when there, that conversion can be cost prohibitive, so I don't know if there's any way to take that into account for adjacent spaces that are that could be flexible. Um, I just know that it's going to be a challenge and potentially yeah. cost prohibitive. Yeah. A lot of it makes sure is just making sure that kind of the bones of the building are appropriate for commercial. So that oftentimes may mean things like higher ceiling heights on that first floor, uh, because if you have residential ceiling heights, that won't convert well to commercial use. So sometimes the residential um, foundation or framework is expanded a little bit, and that allows for the easier conversion. It may not be um, simple, but it's easier. Mm -hmm. Could you explain a little bit, please, about what the, the conversation with the school district sounded like? Because my, my understanding is Alexander's pretty full. If you, sort of, if you really expand out there, what, is, what does that look like? And are they, how, how, did they be, how did they view this expansion? Yeah, they, based on what they told us, that they're, they're going to need some additional land for another school in the area, but not within the 900 acres that we're looking at. So within the planning area um, within that 900 acres we're not identifying any additional school sites but the school district will likely need um, additional land near there but not within that 900 acres okay thanks 
I guess I, I hear like some of the complaint is like barking. Uh, is that like a valid complaint? There is no barking for those or barking space available when we build this kind of houses? Sure. The, um, we're going to touch a little bit on parking standards, I think, in our presentation tonight. But um, there are minimum parking standards in this code. They are slightly reduced from our current code. Um, the Main Street zone does have a max, a parking max, but the other zones do not. Additionally, all of the streets would allow on-street parking. Um, we have reduced the parking slightly. Eric, tell me if I'm going too far into discussing that. Yeah, I, the, I wouldn't get too much further than that. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that you're planning on addressing some of that okay. in the formal and so forth. But okay. if it's okay, Mayor Pro Tem. Uh, sure, for, yeah, no problem. Okay. Right, thank you. I also invite US, uh, UST to just jump in on this conversation as well. I may, if I could ask uh, Optico as a question, I think might be helpful for the council and the public to hear. Thanks, Tony. Um, so the, the case studies that you uh, presented showed situations, I believe, in which there's a single developer or the properties under sole control of one development group. Obviously, in this case, I think uh, it was mentioned that we maybe have 10 large property owners and probably a few smaller ones. Um, Hopefully, the flexibility we built into the code can adjust for uh, some of the different uh, um, views that those property owners may bring to the process. But any any advice to the city um, in working with multiple property owners in a, in a um, on a code like this? Uh, yeah, that's a great point. This um, we have worked on codes that have multiple owners, but yeah, this the three the other two that I showed you tonight were not. Um, yeah. Things to make sure that you uh, advice uh, would be, you know, the, the work that's been put into trying to figure out how to connect all the properties. You know, when when cities are working with multiple owners and they don't have a plan or they don't have a code like this, that's ultimately what a lot of people are trying to get at. They're trying to connect things, make it so that you can get from one end of town to the other, um, one end of the big development to the other. That the park system makes sense, that the trails be connected, that the bike lanes make sense and you don't get to one, well, that developer didn't want to do it and you have to go this way and get to the rest of the bike bike network, that it all makes sense and be master planned, if you will, but being executed by a number of developers and that, that you have that. Yeah, people have questions, they have preferences on how they might have done this or that, but there's flexibility in the code to adjust the, the what's there as long as it meets the standards and just saying you know somebody comes to you with a, a new idea it it might be good but don't throw it out because somebody might say well that's you know i can't work with this there's a lot to work with already there's a lot to work here there's a lot of agreement on what you see on the screen maybe people will get up tonight and say no i don't agree with this i don't agree with that but that layout that is as, as detailed as it is and as much as people might say, hey, I didn't, I didn't put the street exactly where I would put it, there's a process to allow adjustment to that. But more importantly, there's a lot of interconnectivity that people working by themselves wouldn't probably have achieved. And that is really already 
already there and to be improved. And, to, and, and that's probably one of the easiest ways to, to dilute this plan, is to have somebody come in and say, well, you know, I don't get along with that owner, I won't get along with that one, so I want to do something this way, and all of a sudden, chipping away, chipping away, and next thing you know, you've got something else out there. So um, the initial projects will test that, um, or that'll probably be when it gets tested or challenged, and I'm just saying there's a lot of accord in what's down there and a lot of benefit and uh, what's laid down, and people need to move beyond that and say, well, okay, I might have done it a little differently. Maybe I can, my 50 acres, I can adjust a little bit here and there, and I can express my buildings a little differently. Let them do that and let it all add up to something pretty cool, as opposed to people starting to siphon it off, to silo it off to the, their own desires, and then all of a sudden you have 10 different projects. So that's probably a longer answer than you asked for, Jeff, but sorry. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, one thought I'm having on that, that piece of this is that, um, you know, the, the code that's being developed for this land is based on the transect, you know, it's T3 and T4. So there isn't a great deal of um, difference, I guess I might say, in terms of how the land is going to be developed. So I, I would think, um, you know, developer or landowners are interested, among other things, in the profitability of their land. But it, it's, my sense is, is that profitability as it relates to the land that's covered under this code change, the wealth is, is well distributed. I'm not sensing that, you know, one property owner is going to be favored because it allows for considerably higher density over another area. It's all pretty much an even keel, it seems to me, with some differences allowed for, but that all 10 or however many landowners there are, they all get a more or less an equal piece of the pie, if, if, if that sounds accurate. Well, maybe I'll just wrap up with one final thought. Oh, Councillor Weiner, did you have a question? Yeah, I just wanted to ask if you, 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 you touched on uh, climate aspects. I wanted to ask if you're planning on addressing them in, in greater detail this evening with council. I mean, just as sort of you, you touched on um, affordable housing and, and how, how that piece would work. And the Yeah, we, we have a couple other slides that kind of summarize the connection between this code and, and some of those sustainability related goals. And if you have more questions during the formal meeting, we can certainly answer those. Right, thank you. And for affordable housing as well, some of the mm -hmm. incentives you'll bring sure. that up. Yeah. Well, Ian touched on this in her comments and just something to keep in the, in the back of your mind as you navigate this the next several meetings. Um, we are not initiating a rezoning into the form-based code. That's not what we're proposing at the conclusion of this. Um, so individual landowners will still have to apply for that rezoning. So um, if you are a landowner in this district now, uh, in the city limits, you have a zoning district assigned to you, and you could still develop under that traditional zoning district. We are hoping that they will see the benefits, developers will see the benefits of um, coming into the form-based code, much like we've um, worked on in Riverfront Crossings where uh, developers have opted into that code because of the benefits that that provides. But do know that this is not um, rezoning the district into the form-based code. That is going to have to come with the individual owners. Likewise, when you annex 
in if you're if you don't want to de develop under the form-based code we're not forcible we're not forcibly annexing anybody and that's not, not not at this time and that's not certainly part of any discussion that we've had at the city so uh, i just want you to um, have that in the back of your mind as you're um, thinking through um, the form-based code over the next few meetings if someone does annex in they still have the option no, at that time we would say we, we would like you. We, we would require um, annexation code. into the form-based code. Presumably, that's not a staff determination, but that would be our recommendation to to council at the time of annexation. Great. Any more questions? I guess I have one last one. So when they do want to utilize the form-based code, then they'll have to go through PNZ and then final with council. Correct. Correct, okay, great. Any other comments? Questions? All right, we're good. We're gonna move on to clarification. Oh, thank you all for being a part. And of course, we'll be back at seven and have more discussion. At six, yeah. Six. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have to get that ingrained in my head. All right. Clarification of agenda items is next. Info packet, September 23rd. The next info packet is September 30th, and we will have our joint entities meeting. Right. Oh, you have something from the 23rd? Sorry. Okay. Uh, September 30th, info packet. Um, we're going to have our, there's the IP4 item for joint entities meeting. And so typically we try to figure out a topic or a topic, at least one topic <laughs> to discuss. So. Any thoughts or ideas? To discuss where? What do you say? For the joint entities meeting. Okay, we joint entities meeting. Try to figure out if there's anything we want to bring to the all the entities around us. I think I asked for it the last joint entities meeting too, but any updates on ARPA? Um, plans and I don't know what the school districts pandemic relief funding is like as far as timelines and 
amounts, but I think since the district is at that meeting, that might be helpful to hear what they have as well. That's cool. I think the last time there was only Johnson County and the city that had any type of updates, but I, I think you're right, it'd be a good idea. And maybe mm -hmm. um, we can talk to the school district beforehand just to make sure that they're prepared or have someone present. Sort of, I mean, together with that on the school district, I'd really like to hear what what their plans, what their testing plans are. I mean, testing for for COVID has been an issue all over the state. Des Moines uh, Community School District has now worked with one organization to basically create drive-through rapid testing for anyone from the anyone from the school district who wants or needs it. Uh, and I know there were there were funds available. There were funds that the governor sent back to Washington. I'd be curious to just to get a sense from the school district as to where they stand on being able to do rapid testing. Mm -hmm. Any other ideas? Yeah, I think I, I sense people will support that, both of those being on the agenda. All right. Anything else from September 30th? Is there anyone that we want specific to give our update? I know that Rachel did the our presentation. Update? For the joint meeting? Yes, for the joint meeting. Yeah, one of us in the city manager's office can do that. Okay, great. Mayor, I did want to um, call attention to the tentative meeting schedule because I think there's been some proposals to uh, change the November meetings. Yes. That's on page three of the IP yes. for those that haven't seen it. So the November meetings, just wanted to maybe look at those meetings and make sure that everyone is good with those. We wouldn't have a meeting at the beginning of November. Um, we will have two meetings in November. But those meetings will be the 16th and the 30th. And then one meeting in December is what's listed. And then one meeting in December, which will be the 14th. Just wanted to make sure that we're all good there. No, Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, great. The the other I just thought the the item about the um, the navigator assistance program for commu for communities in need that the fire department is now implementing was just a, was is a very interesting initiative. I don't I'd be interested once that really gets launched and in, in hearing how it's working. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Council updates on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. I have one from the UNESCO City of Literature. The Iowa City Book Festival is later this month, I guess technically right after our next meeting, but it is October 18th through 24th and information is available at iowacitybookfestival.org with lots of cool stuff happening there. And our last uh, UNESCO City of Literature meeting was um, held at the UI Main Library in the gallery space on the first floor on the north end, which is currently uh, an exhibit about Fyodor Dostoevsky. 
um, which was really fascinating. And that's still open and is one of their most popular exhibits that they've had there. So encourage people to check that out. Yeah, um, so ECCOG has, has launched, has been working on uh, basically strategic planning through 2030 and beyond, not dissimilar to the, the project that Better Together has undertaken. Uh, and, and ECCOG did, had a, base, had a pretty much full day workshop last Wednesday with people from around the, the multi-county area. Uh, and the, what the facilitator largely focused on was what the trend, where the trends are headed um, and, and how different, different ways that not that these communities and counties and the rural areas and everybody working together can, can choose to meet the moment. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not sure 100% how successful that was because we started out with, with quite a large group and I think that after, after they broke us into um, breakout groups to discuss some of these different scenarios, the, I had the sense that a lot that, that a number of the people from the rural areas dropped out. Um, but the basically the the outcome of it for now is that essentially if we don't really look toward um, take take it, make get a good grasp on the, the trends and look to more um, learning based and technology based and a variety of other variety of other options to push us forward we may be sort of um, stuck but they're going to be doing um, outreach meetings in all the different counties over the next month or so and then i hope that we'll be able to sort of have some kind of comparison and wrap up and see where that's where they're headed as opposed to um, as opposed to the better together version so this is interesting but it's mm -hmm. Anything else? We will be back at 6 p.m. All right. See you soon.